Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer, and online proofing and collaboration platform, Proof HQ. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. We are joined today by John Miller. Thanks, Chris. John, it's great to have you on Content Pros. Uh, John, you and I have gotten to know each other the last number of years. Uh, you know, for, for those who don't know John, he's one of the co-founders and, and really built the content engine that is at, at Marketo today. Um, you know, but more exciting these days, he's got his, his second big venture uh, out to, to build the next unicorn out there. So, uh, John, thanks for taking the time and, and look forward to diving into things. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about content. Fantastic. So let's let's dig into it. I mean, you know, you definitely have you know the experience of seeing you know content as as a important part of a business at various different stages. Maybe you can kind of talk about you know what that was like first of all at your time you know when you were at Marketo, you know earlier on when you were overseeing content, and then later on as you guys became you know a much bigger company with more sophistication. Well, sure. You know, I think one of the things that uh, I've been saying about Marketo for years is that I started writing our blog there before we even wrote our first line of code, uh, which is true. And I think uh, that ended up serving as the foundation for a lot of our success. What I haven't actually talked much about before is um, at the time I was, I was inspired uh, by Sean Whiteley, who was one of the founders of Keaton, and then he went off onto Salesforce. Uh, you know, you know, he and I had lunch. What we're having lunch one day back in early 2006, and he was just like, "Boy, you just start blogging, and people just start showing up. It's amazing." I mean, he was. He said something along those lines, and I had always known that I wanted to to write and have a, have an outlet to kind of share thought leadership. And that's why I was, you know, kind of got into the whole blogging thing as early as I did with Marketo. Also at the time, I was a really big believer in search engine optimization as a, kind of a key marketing strategy, and those those obviously intersected. Um, and so in the early days, that's all we did for content was I wrote blog posts and I commented on other people's blog posts. And you know, lo and behold, traffic did start pouring in, and lo and behold, you know, not that it didn't take that long. Uh, Marketo had the number one. Uh, Google ranking for the keyword B2B marketing, which was kind of the one I decided to focus you know, our main energy on. And it, it was all pretty amazing and pretty easy. Uh, and then lo and behold, and then what happened, of course, is everybody else discovered content marketing. And <laughs> everything got a hell of a lot harder uh, in terms of doing it. And we all had to raise our games, both in terms of a little bit the quantity, but most importantly, the quality of, of what we're doing. John, I love the comment you made that you started blogging before you had a single line of code. And I think to many people, that's scary with so much focus on the lean model and getting an MVP out there. But I know Joe Polizzi has been a guest, and he mentions in his new book that you should actually start with content first and build out that audience and kind of grow your following. 
Could you talk a little bit to some of the things you measure, maybe at a stage where you're at with Engageo or how you did with Marketo, where when you start just blogging and you may not even have a pipeline or you may not have a product to sell at that point, what do you start to measure from a content perspective and then how does that change as you grow and evolve? Sure. Yeah, I mean, right now with Engageo, um, we, we're, we're in a private beta and so, you know, in the sort of the classic sense, you know, a lead today, you know, I, I wouldn't even know what to do with a lead today if you handed one to me because, you know, I, I'm just haven't yet even rolled out Marketo myself yet internally, you know, for our own system. And so, you know, as we are in the product development phase of the company today, you know, I, I, I have sort of followed the same practice of starting to create a little bit of content you know, very, very early with Engageo. But what I'm, you know, my goal today with all the content that I'm doing at Engageo is, is honestly just to create uh, some awareness and, you know, mostly kind of starting to just try to connect, you know, Engageo as a player in, you know, the sort of rapidly emerging account-based marketing industry. You know, and I think, you know, if I didn't have any content out there, that would be, much harder to do than um, than it has been. You know, just by honestly just creating a couple pieces of content so far, you know, and obviously leveraging my background, I think we have been able to position Engageo, you know, as a real player in the space. Right. So the success metrics, the things I'm looking at today is sort of positive signs. Are people put together market maps of who's who in account-based marketing, and lo and behold, Engageo is on there, which is great even though we're, you know, still very, very small and don't even have a public product yet. Um, you know, I can track other things like just traffic, you know, organic traffic to the website, um, social, social activities, and all those other things, which, you know, at their core are really just proxies for um, awareness. You know, and that's kind of what we're building today. I alluded to, in general, uh, some of the other aspects of content marketing being much harder. You know, and I mean, it frustrates me to be honest that, that you know, we, we Engageo still has a page rank of zero, and I think we show up on page seven or something if you search for the word account-based marketing. You know, and so, and that's kind of what I meant by it's just a lot harder today. You know, if we really want to get some of the, the other benefits from content in terms of really scaling traffic and scaling uh, eventually our lead generation, we're going to absolutely have to dial up the game kind of compared to what we're doing now. So kind of to now answer your question, I think early, at this early in a company, it's just about building some brand and, and getting into the right conversations. You know, over time, it's going to scale into other things like lead generation, pipeline, you know, and that kind of stuff. It's really interesting, John, and you know, it's 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 funny to hear you say that you know it's become so much harder, and at the same time, it's become so much more sophisticated. I mean, there's so many so many better tools, obviously, today as you're building the Engageo blog versus when you were building the Marketo blog that allowed you to you know not have to necessarily break through clutter and not need the sophistication. When you look though at you know, beyond the blog, um, you know, and, and look at getting you know to the point with Engageo where it's going to be about different channels. What are some of the channels that you're excited about these days from a content perspective, where you you plan to focus once you have that bandwidth? Well, 
you know, I, I've always been a believer in um, what at Marketo we called big rock content. Um, you know, but but essentially the the really meaty, significant content assets that sort of you know kind of are permanent and serve a life of their own, if you will. You know, stuff like the the uh, the Moz link rankings report. You know, and so on. You know, and and in my experience, you know, a couple or even just one really awesome you know, big rock piece of content, you know, ends up being way, way more valuable than lots of, you know, just, you know, the nth blog post, you know, if you will. You know, not the least of which is because you can repurpose that big rock into lots of other things like graphics and blog posts. But I think, I think people are much more likely to link to and share, um, you know, something that has like a, a real weight and permanence to it. Um, you know, kind of a big piece of, you know, a big rock piece of content. So, you know, for Marketo, those were our definitive guide series. Um, we don't have anything like that yet at Engageo, but I think, you know, that's going to be, you know, an important kind of thing to be creating in our early days. Um, you know, I think when you're, when you're first starting a company out, the, the challenge is always, all right, how do I have enough content? Right, I just you know, you don't even have enough to put together a basic nurture track or to you know even have a web you know you know a web page that lists out three different things if you will. But as you start to create more and more, you know, which you have to do to get your nurture in place and things these other things, you know, then <clears throat> Randy, you and I have talked about the need to then have a good resource center. And you know, I think that's a really important thing to be thinking about. As part of any content strategy, is is you know not just how do you get you know like once you start to climb that basic hill of how do you have uh, just enough content, I think we immediately need to get into the question of how do I get that content distributed? How do I get it out to the right people? Um, how do I organize it? How do I actually then use it for all my for my goals? You know, and having a really good resource center is part of that too. So that's some of the stuff I'm thinking about right now is, you know, big rock content, resource center. Um, I guess the other thing I'll talk, I'd say is um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, working with partners and other companies to create content and to create content assets that you can then mutually leverage. So right now there's a whole bunch of other companies in the sort of account-based marketing ecosystem. And, you know, I think we're all still new and small enough. We haven't exactly figured out, you know, where everybody fits with everybody else, if you will. But we all believe that building account-based marketing as a category is a good thing. And so we're finding ways to collaborate to create content and webinars and events and all that kind of stuff together. And especially when you're small, I think that's incredibly valuable and important to do. That was a great answer, and it covered so many things. I was sitting here taking notes, and you almost did the sponsor read for me. So <laughs> I think after that answer, it's a perfect opportunity to introduce one of the folks who helps make this podcast happen, and that's Inbound Writer. And some of the guesswork that John was talking about, Inbound Writer is trying to help you understand which blog posts and articles will drive traffic. 
So it's going to do content analysis on how your content will perform with analysis of your site, your competition, search engine behaviors, and more. It's going to tell you which topics will work, which won't, and why to help remove that guesswork from content creation and increase your traffic and stop wasting time. So right now you can get a free month trial of Inbound Writer. You can go to inboundwriter.com slash content pros offer. That will be linked up in the show notes. So John, I'd love to dive in a little more on Big Rock content. And one of the reasons I think, you know, like you said, you have to have enough content and then you want to start to make the jump. And one thing that I've seen a lot in talking to folks who are doing content marketing, whether they're at a mature stage or just starting, there's kind of this paralysis to get started with that big, huge piece of content because what if they do the wrong thing? What if it doesn't work? What if they spend all of these resources and produce this great big piece of content and no one comes? So you were starting to talk about doing content with partners or other experts in your field. What are some ways that companies can hedge their bets when they're producing this big piece of content. And I think you had started to touch on that, like tapping into other folks and, you know, maybe even understanding search behaviors because definitive guides are tied to marketing challenges. But what are some things people should consider when they're thinking about doing that big pillar piece of content? Yep. Well, gosh, I feel, you know, if you start hedging your bets, you're going to fail. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, when, you you know you gotta kind of I mean especially with sort of you know a big piece of content right you by definition you're swinging for the fence you're trying you know you're going big and if you don't kind of pull out all stops to make that as great as it can be you're you're not going to succeed so I think if you're worried about failure with the content that's really a failure of your upstream strategy you know in terms of you know what are you trying to even kind of go for now? But I don't think it's as complicated as it sounds, right? And, you know, at Marketo, um, you know, a lot of my content strategy was dictated, to be honest, by what are the concepts or even the specific keywords that we want to rank for and be known for, right? So in the early days, Marketo had great rank SEO rankings for the keyword marketing automation. But then, frankly, we didn't focus on it enough, and other companies like Eloqua and HubSpot started to pass us um, for the keyword ranking on marketing automation. And so, you know, it was pretty clear based upon what we did and what we wanted to achieve from a uh, ranking perspective that writing the definitive guide to marketing automation made sense. Right, because boy, that's going to create a whole bunch of content and and a center, a nexus, if you will, around marketing automation. So I think that that approach can can kind of play for any company, right? If you if you know what your company stands for, and you've done the basic positioning work, you know, to to to, to define what you know what what words your customers use to describe what you do. Right, then that I think is a natural guide into you know the the content that you create. And if you can't be in a position to pull together some thought leadership around the core things that your company does, right, I think you've got a bigger problem <laughs> than just how do you get content created. Um so anyway, I sort of you know didn't answer your question about hedging risk because I think 
you know, the real thing to do is focus your strategy, you know, on, on what matters and then go all in. I, th I think that's a great, great point, John. I, you know, I think everything you've touched on in the last couple of answers is stuff that, that we, we try and do here at my company as well. I mean, we really focus on, you know, finding that, that big rock and sometimes even combining it when you're, when you're struggling, as you said. We've even done big rocks where it was in partnership with, with someone. Um, you know, we did a marketing automation hack series where we, we partnered with marketing automation providers to talk about some of the big challenges around content for people. So there's a lot of ways to, to source for that. You know, once, once you hook someone in though, um, you know, we're, we'd love to get your opinion because I, I know you're, you're passionate about personalization and, you know, you were hitting on this earlier when you talked about, you know, having a resource center, but more so organizing that content. Maybe you can talk about, you know, where you see personalization going and especially with that account-based marketing uh, approach uh, that, that you're zeroing in on at Engagia. Yeah, well, I think there's kind of two things going on with this. You know, the, the, the first is, you know, as, as there's more and more content out there across companies, but even in your own company, you know, the challenge becomes less and less of how do I create the next piece of content and more how do I get the right content in front of the right person. I mean, like, again, I keep coming back to Marketo a little bit, but we had so much content on Marketo that, you know, I, as the executive editor, <laughs> could barely, could basically couldn't even keep up with reading it all, right? And if the executive editor, right, can't even keep up with it all, there's no chance in hell that all the customers and prospects are going to keep up with all of it, right? So that, that nth piece of content, that n plus one piece of content, just, you know, stops being that valuable, you know, without then the consummate, how do you get that in front of the right people? And, and so... There's the sort of personalization of the distribution that matters a ton, right? So, you know, that's where things like the real-time personalization product from Marketo can matter so that if, you know, somebody, you know, was visiting the site, you actually change the website to show them the right piece of content. You know, if your resource center has personalization capabilities, dynamically change the resources you show to somebody based upon who they are. Right, and again, the goal is there's just, once you have a lot of content, you really have to raise your bar in exposing the right people to the right content. You know, another strategy companies are using um, that's pretty interesting is, you know, you send somebody, up, maybe in your nurture path, you send somebody uh, an email offering piece of content A, right? But instead of, you know, let's say they engage with piece of content A, Maybe, you know, rather than now waiting two weeks before you send them content B, right, you can, right now when they're engaged, you immediately expose them to B. And if they like, if they engage with B right now, you immediately expose them to C. And you're taking advantage of that engagement that they have right now to move them through the process faster than kind of you would if you weren't kind of personalizing it based upon their engagement. So that's kind of one kind of engagement. I think the other kind of engagement that's really relevant for account-based marketing, sorry, the other kind of personalization that's really relevant for account-based marketing is creating account-specific content. I think this is going to be a really important idea because the thing about account-based marketing is it's much more of an outbound activity than traditional content marketing is, right? You know, 
content marketing, you put your content out there, you wait to see who comes to you. And it's like the, you, you don't care which fish you catch in your net as long as you catch enough fish, you have a wide net and then you run it through your funnel. But when you're doing account-based marketing, you have a name list of say 200 accounts. You know, you can't count on those, those big fish swimming to your net. You need to reach out to them and go to them. It's much more like spearfishing. So how do you do that? Right? How do you reach outbound to your target accounts? You know, I think most companies do it really badly, right? With unwanted emails, you know, <laughs> cold calls. Um, it just, I mean, any executive can tell you all the stories of how many bad prospecting emails they get, you know, from 23-year-old SDRs who don't take the time to even personalize that interaction at all. Now counter that with what happens if you actually can really take the time to understand an account and understand the individual in the account and what matters and what's going to be relevant and resonant with her, and then you can create content that is specifically designed and specifically written to reach out and engage that particular person at that particular account. Now you can expose that content to them using ads or email or direct mail or whatever tactic makes sense. But you're going to be so much more likely to engage with them with that customized content than you would with some generic email. I think you know, this is going to be something we're going to see people doing more and more. Maybe not for every single account, but the whole idea of account-based marketing is if you have a target list of 50 accounts, right, and they were really big, significant deals, maybe it is worth it to kind of spend the time to create some of that account-specific content. Make sense? It does, and I love that. And I want to dig in a little deeper there because obviously it's a passion point with what you're doing at Engageo. And, you know, with what you were describing, I, I do agree. I think most people are doing a terrible job of creating content against accounts and doing that. And I, I think one of the reasons is probably the fear or hesitancy to work closely with sales. And that, I know that's a stigma and a stereotype and everything you want to call it. But what are some ways content folks can start to do this? Obviously, they should sign up for Engageo, and that's what you're working on. But you know, with what you're building and the research you've done and the gaps you've identified, what are some ways to succeed at that? Because I do think it's a foreign concept for many marketers. Specifically, you're asking about account-specific content? Yes. Well, I think you know, step one is to define a narrow enough list of target accounts, right? This, you know, I'm not talking about doing something for 2,000 accounts, right? You know, but maybe start with a pilot of five accounts or 10, you know, whatever. But like start with a narrow enough list of the ones that you really, really care about. Step two is then you have to go and understand that account. Um, understand what is going to be really relevant to them and by relevant, I mean stuff that they care about um, based upon reading their financial reports or even talking to people, you know, finding ways to kind of talk to the people at the account or working with third-party data vendors that can provide some of these insights. But you also have to understand what's going to be resonant with the account. And by resonant, I mean uses the language that they use. So that way they kind of, you know, connect it to their own, to, you know, to their own business issues and things that they care about. So you have to, you know, you know. I heard one company sort of talking about an insights factory, right, as a, as a marketing function that sort of it exists to really spend the time to understand 
what matters to these target accounts. Once you have your insights in place, you know, I think there are some, you know, lots of ways that you can then work in a scalable fashion to just, you know, to basically create that account specific content. You know, and this can, you know, I've seen some companies do is you have um, one or two uh, or three sort of pieces of template content that kind of provide the backbone of, of something, but then you can work with either an internal or an external writer to really customize that backbone based upon your insights that you, you pulled out about that account. You know, and again, that, that can be done um, at scale, I think, in terms of working with uh, some, you know, either external writers or even uh, some of the marketplaces of writers. I'm on the board of a company called Scripted, right? And so they, that's basically Uber for writing. And as more and more companies, you know, as, more, as, that, as that kind of model becomes more and more prevalent, I think the bottlenecks around just creating the content are going to go away, and the challenge is going to be on the inside side of things. So step one, under, you know, pick your counts. Step two, understand them. And then step three, get the content created. It's a, it's a great uh, key takeaway, and we love that stuff on Content Pros so people can can walk away with a to-do list. Uh, it's also, you know, starts to talk about some of the sophistication, and it's a great point to talk about another sponsor of ours, ProofHQ. Um, and as John was talking about the internal sophistication, what ProofHQ will do is help you provide the feedback uh, and manage that feedback in terms of, you know, whether a logo needs to be bigger on a post, whether we have the right photo. And by killing that drama using a, a platform like ProofHQ, which is a web-based system that will allow everyone on your team to instantly collaborate on content execution. You can work together seamlessly, whether it's a blog post, an ebook, a presentation, and you'll be more productive and creative when you do so. You can check out Bitly Proof HQ for more details. And you know, one more question I just wanted to ask you, John, that you know tied back to something you were talking about before was, you know, in terms of who is the decision maker now when it comes to some of these solutions that are out there. And it was really interesting as you were talking about really getting access for content to more people in an organization. One of the things that I say as a problem with the term content marketing is that marketing word appended to it suggests that you know content's really only for the marketing team to worry about. But as you touched on, you know, it starts to be the account managers in, in some cases who have to figure out the right piece of content to send out. So I'm just curious, who do you kind of see as, as the evolving buyer for content solutions? Is it is it still going to reside with the marketer or you know do you have to start selling in to sales leaders as well? Good question. You know, I think I think content is going to still almost always primarily be marketing, um, but but I think what you'll see is that there's will be these tendrils or these extensions coming off of it that are going to touch into you know the other functions. You know, so as I think about it from an account-based marketing perspective, you know, sales is going to be the team that's primarily you know, helping you pick the target accounts. They're going to be the team that's primarily uh, doing a lot of the direct uh, research around creating the insights um, and, and guiding a lot of the account strategy in terms of how you want to kind of, who are you going after with what 
initiatives and that kind of thing. But the sort of the production and um, engagement aspects, I think, will sort of kind of always fall to the marketing team. You know, I mean, it's it's sort of boring to say, right? But what does all that mean? It means sales and marketing are going to work together in alignment. Um, <laughs> which which is uh, um, you know, you know, obviously something that people you know talk about a lot. Um, but it's just, I think it's it's one of those things that inevitably companies are going to have to get better and better at to kind of continue to move forward. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, maybe content will eventually save the day and, and force sales and marketing to get along. <laughs> um, you know, we, we like to always finish with with one fun question, which you know will take you back to your youth and you know, reflecting on where you wanted to be in life from a career perspective. So, you know, back when you were a kid, is you know, was this uh, always the goal of, of where you'd end up? Uh, no, I was dead set on being an astronaut. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I saved my money up to actually take pilot lessons. I went to, I joined something called the Civil Air Patrol, which is like Junior Air Force. And I even went to space camp one summer. <clears throat> but it turns out I had pretty crappy vision. And uh, that pretty much killed any possible dreams I had of being an astronaut. So I took all that money I saved up for pilot lessons and bought a high-end Mac computer and kind of went off in that direction instead. So I uh, studied physics for my undergraduate, and here I am as a marketer. So it's a good lesson. You, know, you, don't, you never know where you're going to end up until you get there. That is a great lesson, and I, I, th I think you did okay getting the Mac. You know, the Mac. I, think, I think everything worked out all right for you. <laughs> it, it worked out, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, th thanks so much for your time, John. This was awesome. I learned so much, and I'd love to catch back up with you once Engageo launches and get some more traction. We'd love to have you back on and really hear how things are going. All right. I look forward to that. Thanks. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This is the Content Pros Podcast. You can learn more at contentprospodcast.com. You can subscribe anywhere that you like to get your podcast: Stitcher, iTunes, anything you like, Pocket Cast. It's everywhere. For Randy from Uberflip and myself from Oracle Marketing Cloud, we are the content pros. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Uberflip, Proof HQ, and Inbound Rider and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by Audio Pig.